0: Hello everyone, I'm your host, Token. it's my podcast, but there's a verse for that. Welcome, welcome back, and as you can tell by the title, we're going to be talking about how our idols don't love us, but God does. And the context for this is going to be found in First Kings 18, and if you're not familiar with this passage, this is the time when Elijah, one of the Bible greats, has a contest at Mount Carmel. It's basically one, him being the only man of God against um 450 false prophets and so just for some like background refresh as to how this actually came because prior to reading this I just thought it was just like a random contest like oh yeah the next day he had a contest with like 450 um false prophets but it was actually such a deep you know catharsis moment like he had basically um come back to king ahab the lord tells him go and present yourself before king ahab and he goes and basically king ahab was persecuting him or pursuing him rather to say hey yo elijah you've been you've been causing so much trouble for israel and the actual truth is that he's him and his family have been disobedient so one thing about king ahab is that he you know was never repentant he never could see his faults for what they were and that's not a quality of christ that's not a quality of a god-ordained king you have to be able to realize where you fall short even just as christians like we have to be able to realize that we fall short and king ahab was not that so he, it's safe to say he was very full of himself and very like that's not uh, kind of like a victim kind of coming like kind of having like a victim mind like oh no elijah you're causing trouble but he's the one that was being disobedient and if you're not familiar with why this is this was very important is because Kings and prophets in the Old Testament had so much responsibility because what they did influenced the masses. So if a king was corrupt, the nation might might as well have been corrupt. If a king was righteous, he would call his people to live in righteousness. And I think of, um, if I'm not mistaken, King Nebuchadnezzar, right? If I'm not mistaken, that's the king that threw Daniel into the lion's den and even Another king, or if it's not him, if 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 not him, who threw Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the fire? After those times, they turned not only themselves but the nations to worship them. Like you, you guys have to worship the god of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and the god of Daniel. So that's why it's important, and that's why it was such a big issue as to why it was, as to why Elijah called him out and said, "Hey, you are living in sin," essentially. So. Just to kind of get before, get into what happens right before the um, the contest, Elijah basically goes up against these 450 prophets of Baal. He says, he says in verse 20, this is chapter 18, verse 21. It says, then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer you waver, hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Verse 22 says, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450. So that is what happens right before the context be- contest begins. So after this, he says, Bring two bulls. And basically, the contest itself is, Let's see how this bull is going to be sacrificed without fire. So just to speed run through it, but obviously the prophets of Baal, they fail to ignite this bull and have like basically cooked the bull basically. And Elijah, this one man against 150 who are gathering around this one bull, he pleads the Lord and says, he says in verse 36, he says, O Lord, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Then in this verse 38, it says, Immediately the fire of God flashed down from heaven and burnt up the young bull, the woods, the stones, and the dust. It even linked up all the water of the trench. And then in verse 39 says, and when the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried, the Lord, he is God. Yes, he is God. That is so powerful. And I wanted to kind of spend so much time on the contest context here. Contest and context, tongue twister. The contest here, because the context, my, my mistake, because this is very context heavy. I didn't want to just skim over stuff like it's very long but I wanted to spend a lot of time on specific points so I wanted to speak on this because I wanted to just present a different perspective of what idolatry can look like even just for me personally speaking as someone who has struggled with idolatry like I haven't been silent about k-pop being one of my biggest idols and even the secular music and you know my thoughts vanity and all these other things Anything that is not of God, that is not God, is an idol. So sometimes you can even worship the idea of worship, you know. Worshiping can be an idol. Sometimes you can say, oh, okay, this is enough for me to be good, you know, as a Christian. But you're not worshiping God. You're not actually pouring your heart out to him. You're just pointing it, pouring yourself to, putting yourself in a position of worship and looking like a righteous Christian. But your heart is not reflecting that. Just an example. So, yeah, I just wanted to title this because I wanted to highlight three points that show that these idols didn't love the false prophets versus God and how how God, versus how God loves us and how he kind of combats, not even kind of, he combats their their form of worship and how he is in the complete opposite of their idolatry and their their kind of concept around their idols so jumping right into it so the first thing that stood out to me the most was in verse 21 where elijah says how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions and i think for christians idolatry thrives in lukewarmness when we are lukewarm and we're not we're not showing our zeal for god that's when we kind of become complacent and start looking for other things to satisfy us. And I think the the, the thing about idolatry is that sometimes it can present itself as harmless, like, oh, okay, yeah, this, this is good for me. I'm just having fun. And when we're not engaging the Holy Spirit and discerning and saying, Holy Spirit, lead this or lead through me in this, or even just letting the Holy Spirit give you conviction immediately and actually following through the conviction. Because I feel like when you look warm, you don't heed to conviction, you know, and sometimes you might not even have that conviction. So I think when we are not engaging with the Holy Spirit, we can kind of sometimes overestimate the idol, either putting so much higher regard in that idol, like the, put it, making it God-like. I definitely did that in the past. Or even underestimated, like not taking caution, like, going in haphazardly that can happen at the same time I definitely would overestimate it and be like oh I'm overestimating something that's not even that deep it's just me having fun you know and God's not against fun but if it's unrighteous fun that's when it becomes dangerous and so this points to like how these idols don't advocate for our zeal in the sense that they don't want us they don't want what's best for us essentially and This goes against what God says in Matthew 21, verse 22, which is you must love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. And when you have an idol in your life, you're most likely hobbling between two opinions. You're most likely, it's this and this, you know, you have an idol here, you haven't had all this. Like, I feel like idolatry is not always just one thing being idolized. And this is just from my personal experience, where when I was in K-pop, I would still be, you know, idolizing other things like okay let's let's stand this person like even just being a multi-stand or even just k-pop and then other secular music and then sexual morality and then last you know it was just all these other things that were fighting for my attention that's the best way I can put it and so when you're scattering your attention elsewhere and dedicating yourself to different things you become really burnt out and that doesn't show our zeal it's kind of like some a person who's a jack of all trades and a master of none. You're a jack of all trades of idolatry, but you're not mastering worshiping God. So, yeah, I think that's a way that, one of the ways that idolatry can be a lack of love because God, when he tells us to love him, it doesn't mean it's one-sided. He loves us as we'll get to see much later. But I think if, if you're, when, when you're looking at friendship, for example, and people who want what's best for you, they will most likely want you to show your passion. I'm thinking about the advice I give to my friends. I'm thinking about advice that they've given me. Like even just my parents just saying, yeah, give it your all, you know? And if someone is not saying that, then they don't. They most likely don't really care about your, your zeal. And by zeal, I mean your enthusiasm to do something or partic- to perform in a particular area. And so God is the complete opposite of that, as we see in, again, Matthew 21, verse 37. So moving on. Another way that idols don't love us is they don't necessarily, they kind of come come from like a peer pressure type of um, perspective. Like, as I mentioned about, there being 450 profits and only being one I don't want to use peer pressure as like a definite term but I mean that the numbers will avalanche into a movement like if there's a lot of numbers behind something the more likely there is for people to flock to it and support it you know so I think even though there are a lot of people behind a movement doesn't necessarily make it a right movement quality in idolatry it's more so quantity over quality the bigger the better there's power in numbers all these other things like I personally saw that like where if I was part of a very very big fandom or whatever it felt like you're you're doing something good it felt like you were you know moving yourself and moving people and influencing people to make the right choice essentially but it's not always the case so yeah, I just wanted to highlight that. And I think it can kind of make it make us have this idea of conforming and everybody's doing it, but it doesn't necessarily make it righteous. And the scripture for this was in verse 22, where Elijah says, Then Elijah said to them, I'm only one prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Meaning that there are 450 people supporting such a pagan and just unrighteous movement that was not filled with love versus just one man representing God or being a prophet of God. And so I think the one way that idolatry can be seen as um, unloving is for them to rely on you to be part of a movement and just see you as a number because I personally would not want to put my faith in something that just sees me as a number versus not having a personal relationship with that deity, you know? And in this case, Baal. So I think how that contrasts with the word of God and how God loves us is obviously John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He loved every person, but it also means us as an individual, that he sent his only son, like the the opposite in that like we have the world a big number and he sends his only son meaning that the number is great but the sacrifice is also great it's such a kind of a paradox in it's in the sense that we have this very very big population that can be saved through one man and in the in a sense the people of Baal versus the prophets of Baal and versus um, Elijah kind of have like a a parallel between that but obviously it's kind of an inversion of that but yes I think this is very important to realize that although as although uh, we may feel like we're part of something in idolatry be it like music, secular music or even just like you know living immorally in social morality like oh everybody's talking about it, everybody's doing it it's just being part of a number but not necessarily having a a personal relationship with that and i kind of see it as um how most of the time when we are participating in say i'm thinking about health care for some reason like say we all are under this one health care plan the company doesn't know us personally but we feel like we are important because, oh, it's individualistic to me. But if anything had to happen, the company is saving their, themselves first. So that's what it's like to be in idolatry. That's what it's like to be part of idolatry. You're seen as a number, but not as a person. And God sees us as a person. And another scripture that I really found to be very comforting was First Corinthians twelve fourteen, which talks about how we are all members of one body, like all of us are part of one body meaning that we have unity and the body is in Christ and going back to John 3 16 he says he loved the world but he sent his one son so each and also in first Corinthians 12 um 12 it talks about how each part of the body is very important so not only are we part of a big group but to be our unique in our own selves and meaning that God sees us as a person he sees us as people He knows us personally. He knows the numbers that are on our head. And I think another passage that the Holy Spirit just deposited in my spirit that kind of brings us home is Psalms 139. I really encourage you to read it. It's not that long. I think it's just 11 verses. It just highlights how God is God, but he's also a caring and loving God. So, yeah, that's just something that I really wanted to drive home, that, you know, our idols see us as a number, but God sees us as a person. So yeah moving on i think for the last point i wanted to kind of focus on the context here of what happens in the story so elijah goes on to kind of poke fun at the um prophet of baal and it seems like he's poking fun but i i kind of had like a revelation about it and He goes on to say in verse 27, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You have to shout a little louder, he scoffed, for surely he is God. Perhaps he's daydreaming or relieving himself, or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder, following their normal custom. They cut themselves with knives and swords until until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of evening of the evening sacrifice but still there was no sound no reply no response and i've never seen a verse like this before where it's like no this no this no that And it just drives home the idea of like this was literally a dead idol like this was not a living idol it's not a living god like the way our god is living this was a living god, god lowercase g and that kind of segues into the next point of like how our idols are dead the relationship that we have with them is dead. It is not a normal human, um, kind of lively, um, not to not to be corny or or, or ironic. Kind of a, it's not lively at all. And even if you are idolizing or have been or in the past, you have idolized people. They don't know you. Like you can say, "Oh my gosh, so and so and I have a connection." Like for me, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this group and I have a connection." But the more I looked at it in hindsight, they don't know me. I am just a number to them going back to the previous point, And the lines of communication is dead. Our line of communication, our idols will always be dead because we are trying to find something in them that can't be taken out. But if we go to God, he is faithful to reply to us. And so sometimes when we are looking at, you know, idolatry I and mean, people are calling us out on our idolatry you know it says verbatim that Elijah mocked them and I do see the mocking aspect of it but I also see that he's he's really trying to open up their eyes in a sense and to help them say guys are literally f- like following and worshiping someone who is not alive someone who doesn't exist in the context in compared in comparison to God this is this is a deity that is dead and although it's very harsh, like, oh, yeah, he's relieving himself. Like probably he's he's probably sleeping. It's kind of humanizing him because these are all human aspects that we all can do. And God doesn't do those, these things. We've never read in the Bible that, you know, God sleeps. It says that he in Psalms 120, that he never sleeps. 121, if I'm not mistaken, he never sleeps. He never slumbers. Those are all human things that kind of contrast to God and most of the time, when you look I really encourage you to look at your idols, if you have them, to see how in, how, how they kind of pair in comparison to God. For me, looking back at my K-pop journey, these were human beings who were just like me. They did things that were just like me. They, you know, slept, they went on trips, they did everything that was human-like, and yet I worship them like I worshiped them as though they didn't do those things. And I worship them as though they were God. So, yeah, going into the going into the last point of how there's no connection and they're dead, I think, aside from that, you know, idolatry can also force us to become more desperate. Like when we're being called out on it, we can become more desperate to cling to it because it kind of is a security blanket for us to find solace or you know find a crutch or it just feels good to not be convicted or whatever the case it just feels good to do things on your own terms you know as, as human beings we, we're naturally disobedient we love sin you know roman 7 goes into it very perfectly um but yes we can kind of do one of two things when we are being called out on our sin and called out on idolatry either we can turn away and worship God or press deeper into our idolatry and i think the two the two responses to idolatry are in this passage later on as we read um they worship they they fell face down to the ground and they worshiped God and prior to that they were doing a lot of stuff. They were doing too much. They were weeping and, um, you know, cutting themselves and worshipping and doing all these other things. And although as Christians, we should also have zeal. I'm not saying we should be doing what they were doing, but I think the idea of desperation for God is definitely something we should do. But it kind of, it kind of becomes one-sided when we're, not even kind of, it becomes one-sided when we're Going up against idols because they can't respond, they're dead. They can't respond to our faith and our passion. They're dead. And as it says here verbatim in the word, there was no there was no sound, no response and no reply. Meaning that even if we do so much to cling to our idols, we will never get the same amount of even just a response. Not even the same amount of like passion, would we'll never get a response from them because they're just that idols. I kind of think of idols as Russian like dolls, like those like those dolls that come apart and come apart and come apart. I don't know why, but we can kind of worship these things and you know be fascinated by them, and we say, "Oh, this is this is this this is something that is so important," or whatever the case is. But they're just that they're just dolls, you know. And I'm not necessarily dumbing idolatry down to a doll, but the idea of something that looks human but is not human applies here. Like the relationship between that is dead. So when we're looking at our idols, we should keep in mind that that relationship is dead. It's a dead end. It's a dead line. So yeah, how this um, comes home to how God loves us is found in the very scripture of, of, this, um, of this passage that God is not a flaky friend like the way idols are. Because I kind of use this this example of a flaky friend intentionally, because you know we may have a friend for a season, they may be uh they may make us feel good, but when we're actually in deep problems, they're like, oh okay i'm not gonna I'm not gonna respond." and that's exactly what kind of happened here. They were crying out to this to bail to answer them. they did so much, they did so many grotesque and morbid things, and there was no response. But God isn't like that. He cares for us. He's our comforter. He answers us when, when when we call on him. He is faithful to answer. It's not to say that he's going to always answer the way, the way we want him to answer, but he will answer. And the answer, the way I get this from, is from this very passage in verse in verse 38, 36, which is at the usual time of offering in the evening sacrifice, Elijah, the prophet, walked up to the altar and prayed. O oh God of Abraham, Jacob and Isaac and Jacob, prove today that you are God of in Israel and I am your servant and prove that what I have done is, all, is, is to your command. Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and you have brought them back to yourself. And it says immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burnt up the young bull, the wood, the stones and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. That is such a godly, God-like response. God-like response. He answered immediately. God will always, always answer. And he will always, always, always (laughs) never pass up the opportunity, if it's not in faith, obviously, to show himself. To show himself as God. Notice how it didn't say he came down from him he didn't. It didn't say he, he came, his voice was thundering down like lightning. He just responded. He, he basically fulfilled what Elijah put out to him. Elijah, prior to this, he was sitting up the altar. And there's a time where he, where he commands the people around him to pour water around it three times. Such meticulous devotion to God. And God met him. He met him there. He met him there. He he honored what he did. He completed the sacrifice and he met him there. God is always going to meet us if we if we intentionally go up to go out to God and we say, "Lord, I'm here. I'm here, Lord. Answer me. Lord, I need you. I need you, Lord." He's going to meet us. When we come from a season of idolatry and we come back to God and we say, "Lord, I'm sorry. I'm here. Please, I need to hear a voice. I need to feel peace." He's going to meet us. He's going to, he's going to meet us. He's going to give us the peace that we crave. And I, I kind of had an example of this like not too long ago. My sisters and I were kind of jamming out. We just unintentionally, you know, listening to secular music and stuff. And I was like, oh, I got carried away. And I was like, oh yeah, let me listen. You know, I just, I don't even know what happened. i was just like, let me just, you know, sin as a human being, being a fault, being a person of faults. And that very evening when I was trying to pray, getting into the presence of God, I felt so much anxiety. And I kind of spoke about like how secular music blocks me from hearing from God. And I just sort of crying out, Lord, I need to hear you. I tried to, I was really, really pressing into abide. And what do you know? After a few minutes, I started to feel peace. I started to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. I need to feel you, Lord. I started to hear that it's because of this secular music that he felt like this and I was like oh yeah you're right Lord I'm really sorry and that's just an example of how even if we go out and sin I'm not necessarily saying we must go out and sin like yeah God is going to forgive me we shouldn't abuse his grace but if we happen to find ourselves in idolatry in sin if we cry out to Lord with intentional humility meaning that we're intentionally coming to him and saying Lord I messed up I sinned I'm hum- I'm humbly coming before you, Lord. I, I know where I went wrong. He will answer us. He will meet us where we are. And although it's not necessarily the message of what happened here, I wanted to kind of drive home what what God's response can look like. And when we devote ourselves to God, when we are obedient to him, and when we are, you know, as um 1 Samuel, I believe, 17 puts it, obedience is better than sacrifice. When we're being obedient to him, he will, he's he's faithful to honor that. He's faithful to respond to that. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of speak on idolatry and hopefully it made sense. Hopefully it can be a different perspective when it comes to dealing with idolatry. And I think also one thing that's also important is to have grace because one thing that idolatry can make you think is that this is something that I need. And even when we're trying to cast it down, it can be such a struggle that you start clinging to it more. That's when we need grace. That's when we need to obviously, you know, mock b- like Elijah here, like, oh, this is a human, this is this is this this God is so human. Or the human aspect of this God shine through here versus God who Yes, he became fully God and fully man, but in this context, he is God. He doesn't do these things. He is the God of God's low case G at the end there. And while that's definitely important, we do need to have grace. Not just when we are de- dealing with idols, but when p- other people are dealing with idolatry. Because most of the time, from my experience, idolatry is the attempt to fill a God-sized hole with many gods, with God's lowercase g. Idolatry is the attempt to fill a God, capital G, Jehovah Jireh, sized hole with God, with God's lowercase g. Bale, particularly music, smoking, drinking, whatever the case is. And it never works. So I really do encourage you guys to look into your lives and see what it is you're trying you're turning to in the midst of anxiety, panic, worry, instead of God and see and recognize it as an idol. And try and apply these steps in order to cast that idol out. Because idolatry doesn't take you anywhere. You know, it just it, it sometimes it even makes you even more disappointed because, you know, sticking with the the flaky friend example, imagine in the middle of, you know. Going through it, and this friend is like, Yeah, actually, I have to go. I'm just going to ghost you. They just ghost you. Imagine how that would feel. And that's how our, our, our idols treat us. When the middle of wanting to feel something that is deeper than the everyday, mundane experience, we're trying to heal ourselves, we're trying to seek the answers to things that don't make sense in the world, and we just get ghosted. But God will never ghost us. God doesn't ghost us. Jesus got ghosted in the garden of Gethsemane for us to be always answered. Think about it. Look, when we, when we read the accounts of what happened in the garden, I think it's Gethsemane. When we read, when we read what happened in the garden, he answers like, Lord, let this cup of suffering be taken. And the Lord doesn't, God doesn't reply. He doesn't reply. And he ends up being, um, being killed and he gets crucified on the cross so that we can always get answered by god and like i said the answer will not always be what we what we want but it's still an answer so an answer is better than no answer so yeah that's just what i kind of gauge from that and some extra bits from this passage that i think we can implement just some shortfire tips for the after the main you know the main bit is that our testimony or choosing God over idolatry should actually point people to God, and this is found in verse thirty-nine, where after after Elijah, you know, cries out to God, and God answers, they bow low and say, "The God, the Lord, He is God. Yes, He is the Lord." That was them recognizing in that moment yes, this is God. They point, they turn back to God. The people of Israel were like, "Yep, this is God," you know. The people, even the prophets were like, "Yep, this is God, the God, the God of God, the God of gods." And the second little thing is that God requires obedience, that can be found in our, in biblical elements like Elijah and the twelve stones, and it's representing the twelve tribes of Israel. So most of the time, when when God calls us for to obedience, it's never out of the Bible. Like, it's not necessarily, it's never not out of the Bible. Like, it's not something that can just be not found in the Bible. It may not be, like, verbatim, like, oh, you must go to Jerusalem and do this. It can even just be a concept, you know? Like, like I said here with Elijah <laughs> gathering 12 stones around this, like, um, bull, it represents it represents the 12 tribes of, of Israel. So when we are obeying God, it will never be... um out of biblical context and that's how you can know whether the devil is prompting you to do something bad like in this case idolatry or if it's god if the devil is tempting you to do something bad try and look it up in the bible and look for the context of what you're looking up because the devil is conniving he can make a carbon copy of what god of god god's word is saying and twist the scriptures to make it seem a a certain way but it's just not a copy it's not the original So, always, always, always look to the word of God and the biblical concepts and the biblical elements of the Bible for when you're choosing God, that you're not idolizing something. Even just idolizing saying yes, idolizing worship, idolizing, you know, legalism, because legalism is, you know, obeying the law without the love of God, just like, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do that, but... Without that being, without the word, without God's love in the word and without the Holy Spirit, we're just being legalistic and just, you know, taking the law as a yoke. That's the only way I can kind of put it to terms here. But yes, God is a God of order. That's why he always refers back to the Bible in our obedience. And this, this also proves his righteousness, you know. When, we are looking at the, when we're looking at the word of God and his instructions to people, even in this case, it kind of clears out his reputation of being righteous. Always, always, always keeping his word. Always, always, always being intentional. That's part of his righteousness. And the last little point is that God is our friend too. Yes, he's God, he's mighty. He's also our friend. And he comes through for us when we call on him in trouble. And just to kind of drive home, like Elijah was one person versus 450 false prophets. Like, imagine what could have happened. They could have killed him. They could have said, shut up, you're, you're insulting us, we're going to kill you. That is, that is an introvert's worst nightmare, if I may say so, as an introvert. Going up against 450 people, that's literally a school. And yet God was there. God was covering him, you know he answered he his answer to Elijah's cry was the evidence of his presence and his just his dependability so yeah God is our friend he's a dependable friend and he definitely 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 loves us so that's it for this episode I hope it has been helpful I hope these little bits have been just little nuggets to kind of go with the main um, episode hopefully you can Apply this into your own life as you go and spend individual time with God. I really do encourage you to go and spend time with God. You know, go and pray. Go and seek the Lord in the word. It is important. So, I love you and most importantly, the Lord loves you. Bye! As you may or may not know, Christians are being persecuted in other countries on a daily basis so I believe it's up to us Christians fellow believers in Christ to support them either financially or spiritually so would you please 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 click the link in my bio under persecuted Christians support them financially and join me in prayer either five minutes two minutes a day just to pray for them and pray for their strength and their courage to continue worshipping God and to continue following Jesus thank you